When it comes to conservation, is bigger always better? Today's speaker thinks maybe not. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. Brendan Wintle reckons one of the most important places for conservation is in your own backyard. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here tonight on Wurundjeri country, um, but I actually grew up uh, and went to school on Tungurong country uh, in a small town called Heathcote in central Victoria, about an hour north of here. And there were patches of natural beauty around Heathcote among a lot of really dry and damaged lands that were recovering from the devastation of the gold mining that when first peoples were driven from the land, woodlands were cleared and for firewood and mine shafts, and the grasslands were put under sheep grazing, gradually overrun with European weeds. And despite the devastation, there were bits of bush around Heathcote that somehow still harboured the incredible species like echidnas, fascagales, spider orchids. And what I noticed about that country was that the little things had hung on in little places. And it's something that I've noticed more as I've travelled around the world for work, that nature can be tough and surprise us about where it can hang in there. So that's what this talks about, the ability of nature to cling on in places that you might not expect, and the opportunity that we have to help nature recover by protecting and restoring these small patches of vegetation. So we are, of course, part of nature. We depend so deeply on nature for every aspect of our lives. But as you all well know, nature is in trouble. Since colonisation here in Australia, we've officially declared extinct 110 species. But we know that's a massive underestimate because only a small portion of animal and plant species have been described by Western science. And we probably lost a whole bunch of species before they were given whitefella names. Australia has lost 10% of the mammal species that existed here in 1800. And we are responsible for 30% of mammal extinctions globally since that time. Population sizes of all species of animal and plants have decreased on average by 60% since I was born. And okay, 1971 isn't just yesterday, um, but in an evolutionary sense it is. The evidence is overwhelming, with extinction rates between 100 and 1,000 times the background extinction rates that we observe in the fossil record, we are in what is known now as the Anthropocene extinction event. And like many of you, I do often feel a bit overwhelmed by the scale and the complexity and the gravity of this devastation. But to work in conservation, in conservation science, you have to be an optimist. And I actually am truly optimistic. We are finally starting to wake up to what we're doing locally, nationally and globally. There are good things happening. As a nation, we've committed to no new human-induced extinctions by 2030. And along with 188 other countries, we've pledged to conserve 30% of the land and 30% of the sea by 2030. And these are essential and marvellous promises. But species need more than promises. Don't get me wrong, we absolutely need to create these new national parks and conservation reserves. And we especially need to properly invest in Indigenous protected areas and the Indigenous ranger groups who now manage more than half of Australia's formal protected area network. But we have some very specific evidence for why that strategy won't work in isolation. 
and why we must also focus on preserving and restoring the network of small habitat patches that are just hanging in there across the cities, the urban fringe and the farming landscapes. And the reason I'm so sure about this is that I've analysed it myself, well, with the help of some good friends. And this is what we did. First, we collected up conservation plans from around the planet. These are documents and maps pulled together by scientists and land managers, in each case drawing on information about where the critical habitats are for animals, plant species that they want to protect. These plans cover thousands of square kilometres of the Earth's surface, including on every inhabited continent. All of these conservation plans had something in common that allowed us to use them in our analysis. They ranked from most important to least important every hectare of land within the planning area. This was done using a concept called irreplaceability. Highly irreplaceable areas are those that, if lost, would result in the loss of a habitat type that exists almost nowhere else. So for people from Melbourne, you might think of uh, the basalt plains grasslands that used to extend from Footscray to the Grampians and now only exist in tiny little fragments, occupying less than 1% of the area that they used to occupy before European invasion. But to keep things simple, let's use the term conservation value instead of irreplaceability. Highly irreplaceable areas have high conservation value. So the next thing we did was look at the statistical relationship between conservation value and the vegetation on each of these patches of, of land that we were analysing to see how small or large the vegetation patch was and how fragmented it was. And we did this using satellite mapping. And what we found was really interesting. We found that consistently across all the conservation plans taken from around the planet, the smaller the vegetation patch, the larger the conservation value. And as if that wasn't counterintuitive enough, we also found that the more isolated the patch was and the more fragmented the landscape that the patch existed in, the greater the conservation value. So small, more isolated patches in more fragmented landscapes consistently had greater conservation value per hectare than the larger, more intact patches that we classically see in big national parks. Small patches are disproportionately important for conservation. Now, because this result flies in the face of a lot of ecological theory, we thought it's got to be a mistake. The idea that bigger and more connected is better when it comes to conservation has held strong in ecology since the 1960s. The accepted wisdom is, or was, that you find more species per hectare in larger, more intact patches of vegetation. But as we began to think about this more carefully, our findings made more sense to us. Firstly, there are particular types of environments that were preferentially cleared for us to live and farm. We like flat, fertile places like river flats, places near the coast. We tend to avoid steep slopes with shallow soils far from permanent water. So, for example, large intact areas of river red gum forest now almost exist nowhere in Australia. Riverine red gum forests persist only in small patches across their former range highly degraded and overrun by invasive plants, bloody cows and various other introduced scourges. <laughs> but the bits that do exist in good condition of these red gum woodlands, like parts of the Barmer Forest on the Murray River, are so rare and so precious that they're rightly considered to be some of the most crucial parts of our conservation estate. And there are many other similar examples to this. Think of the critically endangered Cumberland Plains woodlands around Sydney. 
last remaining patches under immense pressure from new housing developments. In short, the small patches in our suburbs persisting among the houses, the freeways, or those that are between the top and the bottom paddock out on the farm, tend to represent the last of the last for particular vegetation types, and they harbour some of our most imperiled species. So some of you may have heard about the recent rediscovery of Victoria's grasslands earless dragon, the cutest little dragon you can imagine, weighing eight grams in total and maxing out at 15 centimetres long. It's now known from just a couple of tiny patches of rocky grasslands in paddocks just north of Geelong. And there are no patches of habitat for this little guy bigger than your average Bunnings. Other species surviving entirely in these small and fragmented patches of habitat include western ringtail possums uh, that are scattered through the new housing estates on the outskirts of Perth, critically endangered. Brisbane's critically endangered swamp tea trees hanging on in the suburban patches. And the problem we have is that our laws, our vegetation clearing policies, allow small patches of vegetation to be lost far too easily for housing developments, for putting in pivot irrigation systems on farms, clearing for road widening, and the list goes on. Our natural vegetation is suffering a death by a thousand cuts. And these are cuts to species and ecosystems that can least afford it. Our inordinately important small patches that harbour critical genetic resources that could serve as the cornerstone for restoring much larger parts of the landscape. The good thing about these small patches of habitat is that we can all help to protect and restore them. Not everyone can designate a new national park or end native forest timber harvesting like our environment minister, but any one of us here can get involved with our local land care group, our friends of group, no matter where you live. You can lobby your local council to protect the patch of bush over your back fence or to save the big old trees uh, from being cleared for power lines at the end of your street. Local vegetation and species diversity is good for all of us. It helps us and our kids reconnect with nature. Kids growing up in schools with more biodiversity in the schoolyard enjoy improved cognitive development. And many studies link access to biodiversity to better mental health. So looking after nature in our suburbs is just looking after ourselves. And there's no better place to start than the small patch of bush at the end of your street. That was Professor Brendan Wintle, Director of the Biodiversity Institute and the Lead Counselor of the Biodiversity Council, both at the University of Melbourne. Brendan was speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at Royal Society Victoria on Wurundjeri land. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and I'll be back with another little patch of science next week. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.